Hello and welcome to the Complete Health Podcast, the podcast that brings you a complete view of healthcare, exercises, medicine, and much more. We're your hosts, Helen O'Leary and Rhys Noble, both physiotherapists at Complete Physio and Pilates in London. This is episode 10, the fourth and final part of our chat where we sit down with pelvic health specialist Claire Pacey to talk about the postnatal period and how you can return to exercise safely. In this episode with Claire, we're going to look at common postnatal related musculoskeletal conditions and what you can look out for when returning to training. She also looks at the evidence base behind returning to running and how you can safely get back to the activity that you love. Hello and welcome to episode number 10 of the Complete Health Podcast. I am here with my co-host as always, Helen O'Leary. Hello. Lovely to be with you as always, Helen. And we have our wonderful guest today, pelvic health physiotherapist, Claire Pacey. Thank you again for being here, Claire. Hello. Excellent. So um, a few of you may have already listened to our first three installments with Claire, where we've been through everything from uh, what a pelvic and women's health physio does. uh, And we've also then gone into the stages of uh, pregnancy and giving birth. So installment number four with Claire today, we're going to talk about uh, postpartum or, or after birth and the important things that uh, women need to know post-birth, what they can potentially expect, and and the ways a a pelvic health physio can help during that uh, obviously really hectic and but uh, but special time. So really looking forward to this as uh, as always, Claire. So thank you. So I'm going to kick this one off with asking about probably the thing that lots of women know about and don't necessarily know what happens during the six-week check. Absolutely. This magic six weeks. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when everything's fine. When everything's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so the standard care, I suppose, in the UK is that you have a GP six-week check, which, you know, GPs, I think they probably have 10 minutes for this check. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have to prioritise and they will. F- their main focus will be to talk, to highlight any really big issues that they need to refer Mm -hmm. for and also mental health issues so is this woman has this woman got psychosis or post-traumatic stress disorder Mm -hmm. or postnatal depression um so that will be the focus and then the focus will also be to talk about um contraception um and yeah most women are thinking that there's no way (laughs) i'm having sex right now anyway so it's not a problem but yeah and that you know you will get some GPs who have a specialist interest within women's health and so they might go into a bit more um but you know you're a GP they can't know everything they know a lot about a lot but I think we can't we need to have the right expectations of what that check is um so there's no guarantee that they will do a physical assessment on you no so postpartum initially you have a midwife come out to your house to check stitches and things like that and then you'll have your six-week gp check and if you've gone privately you'll have a six-week check with your consultant um and that's it and it's not enough and it's not good enough but we also have limited resources and money and funding and all the rest of it and so i really think we need to reframe it and we have to hope that the nhs the amazing nhs will pick up the most vulnerable people who have no who can't afford to go elsewhere but for those of us who can we have to start reframing it and reconsidering it and i've recently had some men buy their wives some sessions with me um, which brilliant. is brilliant i love it brilliant. because no, that's you know yeah so stop this you know pushing present like give them rehab because that's what they need you know they don't need a ring they need a physio session <laughs> and some pilates and some some rehab so yeah i definitely think there's a place for just um, owning it a bit more and you know we we most women I know not everyone but most women get their hair done they get haircuts they might get their nails done they have a mobile phone they buy clothes they spend money on meals out um, this is just another thing that is so important and um, if, and I really think it's worth prioritizing because like I said previous episodes it can completely change your trajectory for the next 20 to 30 years if you just give yourself the rehab it needs yeah. you know it's been, your body's been through so much um and you need to rebuild a foundation and if you miss out the beginning bit you know the fallout can come later on and mm. athletes have to rehab it's not something you can skip yeah, yeah. and that's so like for me i've had conversations with more expecting mothers um about 
reframe this as a sports injury. Absolutely. Yeah, That's how I treat it. Yeah, exactly. If, if you've done your ACL or you've pulled your hamstring, mm. you have dedicated rehab for yeah. it. Yeah. And if anything, being pregnant and giving birth is harder on the body than many, many well, of those injuries. Absolutely. Yeah. Really long, Way yeah. harder. Longest endurance thing you can do. <laughs> yeah. Way harder. So you reframe yeah. it as that and see your physio as the ch- best chance of you to get back to... Mm. Whether it's sport or whether it's just general life, or yeah. uh, you know, think of it in that in that regard. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's really important as well. So, there's no guarantee that you're going to have a six week check. So I know some of the boroughs in London have actually stopped a six week check for because, GP, of because of resources, because of COVID, at and the telephone consults and so instead. Doing, yeah, yeah. So there's no guarantee that you're going to see your GP. So I think, you know, if if you have any concerns postnatally and you're you fall into that category of your GP service isn't doing a six week in-person check or something like that and you're concerned then you need to ask for it absolutely and you know I worked for a decade as a pelvic health physio in the NHS it exists Mm -hmm. there are amazing physios working in the NHS so you know get if you don't want to pay privately then get a referral from your GP and yes there'll be longer wait times but that's your choice you know you either pay privately and you see someone quicker or you get on the waiting list to see someone in the NHS um and so they're your they're your options really and I think a lot of people will obviously compare us to France or Scandinavia and obviously in France there's a big thing about there's a certain amount of post uh, sort of post birth sessions that you can get as a woman for yourself to do rehab Um, same in Scandinavia so do you want to talk about those and what they might involve yeah and and that's amazing and because of that so there's there's quite a lot of obviously French women in London and French women will seek me out mm-hmm. um, and they'll often be the ones that turn up and say, my birth was great, everything's fine, where's my physio? You know, they expect it because in their country it's part and parcel, yeah. you you have rehab, which um, makes complete, which makes complete, complete sense. sense. <laughs> so they expect it and they they seek it out. And I think because there it doesn't exist in that capacity in the same way in the UK, we just think, oh, it can't be that important then. Mm. And that's just not the case. Um, The only thing with the French system, however, is that because it is a government funded system, I'm sure there's limitations on it, but it does become mostly about doing pelvic floor exercises, which is extremely important. There's incredible evidence for doing your Kegel exercises. And I'll come on to that in a moment, kind of how to do it um, and how often all the rest of it. And we have evidence that, you know, that is super important but it's not the full rehab picture I mean I wouldn't be so obsessed with my job if I just gave people pelvic floor exercises and that was all I think I'd be a bit bored um so they are so important so they're very good at doing that element but I I'm not sure it may have changed but from French ladies I have seen um that's what it's mostly been about and and there is a lot more to rehab than than you know, the pelvic floor exercises, although they are a brilliant starting point Mm. and very important. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry, I've just lost my train of thought there. Um, So we're, actually, that's what I was thinking about. Just out of interest, you mentioned obviously paying privately. Yes. How much does a session with you cost? So at um, complete, it's 150 for the initial consult, which will be around an hour. Um, And following that, I send people a report with, the findings so their vaginal examination assessment their abdominal assessment and all my recommendations um and normally some exercise videos that are bespoke to them um and you know for some people they will say to me very clearly i'm just having one session and Mm -hmm. so i will make sure that i teach them the strategies they need and go over everything and then i might hand over to a personal trainer or a pilates instructor or someone else they're seeing um and kind of link in that way um and other people, I quite, I think it's quite difficult to sometimes get everything across in one session. Um, and some people need more support. So follow-ups are then £75 for the 30 minutes. So that's in the Chelsea Clinic. Yep. Yeah. And or think, Zoom. You know, if you come with very clear expectations and you know what you want, I always say this, whether you're going to see a consultant or a physio or whatever, write a whole load of questions down. Yeah. Because the minute you get in front of someone, inevitably your mind goes blank. And yeah. you can't remember what you were going to ask or the problems that you've been having unless they're major. So write questions down, even send them in advance. Yeah. And actually that means that you're probably going to get a whole load more out of your session than you would do if you're trying to remember things when you're in front of someone. Yeah. And it's a, 
it's a it's a small investment for having good pelvic health for the next 30 or 40 years isn't it, it really is yeah. i i don't think anyone's ever I've never had anyone regret, you know, spending They're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I didn't really know what to expect, but I'm so glad I've done this. Because even if, even if it's just brilliant news, even if it's just actually, you've got no diastasis, your pelvic floor's fantastic, crack on, keep going. Like that's really good to hear. And it's nice to know. Yeah. Um, and so people are always keen. And the first thing I always ask when someone comes in is, you know, what are your goals? What do you want to achieve? Um, so it's always very tailored mm. to the individual. Um, and yeah i think people are always happy to spend the money and what with covid i moved to zoom and can't quite believe i didn't do it before to be honest now um and so i am still doing remote consults and although i love to assess someone initially in person because i like to take the baseline measures and i know exactly what i'm working with um partly because there's not any correlation often between what someone's symptoms are and the actual structural changes. So for example, with prolapse, with pelvic organ prolapse, someone may feel their symptoms are really bad, but actually it's only very mild. Mm. So I like to take baseline measures initially, but then I can follow up over Zoom and that makes it much more affordable. You know, so a Zoom follow up is much cheaper um, and you, you can progress people really well and coach them really well in that, in that format. Yeah, moving forward. Yeah. So what are the most common kind of postnatal things that you see? So um, I would say it's got to be um, incontinence, urinary incontinence um, is a big one. So it, um, it's normal to have urinary incontinence? It's or, common. <laughs> not normal. Yeah. But in saying that, it's, it's, common. Not, it's not normal to continue to live with it. You, there are things you can do to help it. It's treatable. Yeah. Yes. It's not a case of managing and putting up with. It's all treatable. Yeah. Pelvic floor exercises and physio has so much evidence for it. Yeah. Like so much. It's, you know, 70% of people have full resolution. 90% get a lot better. I mean, the stats are good. It's better than surgery, and the this stats. shows you that if you do have that little bit of leaking and you ask your girlfriends who have had babies too and they have it too, although there's a lot of people with it, because I think you said in previous episodes, yeah. one in three women yeah. have it, it doesn't have to stay. No, and I think because other people have it, you think, oh, okay, then. It's fine. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, when you return to sex after having a baby, the stats are that at 12 weeks postpartum, 60% of you will feel discomfort with sex, pain with sex. And I'm not saying that to make you worry about it, but more just that, okay, that's that's quite common, but we would expect it to feel eventually feel completely comfortable again. Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't, and I think it's easy to almost just accept you almost don't realise it's a bit uncomfortable. You mm-hmm. just kind of think, oh, this is just how it is. And yeah. you forget that it didn't used to feel like, like that. But things should return to normal. So, yeah, the most common things would be um, pain with sex, incontinence, mostly from the bladder. Um, or it could be fecal urgency. Poor control of wind is very common. And prolapse are probably the biggest things. Um, and then there's diastasis. So... They're probably the most common things I see postpartum. Um, so diastasis, obviously, this is this gets a lot of press. Yes. Um, and I've heard lots of people explain mm. it as a tear in your abdominals. Um, so obviously, that's actually not what happens. Um, do you want to talk about what it actually is and, and how you can recognise it, what you can do to change it, if it is changeable? Yeah, absolutely. So diastasis um, of the rex abdominis mm. muscles is, yeah, it's a real hot topic at the moment. And I think as a result of that, there's lots of miscommunication. And But ultimately, it's where you've got these two big muscles that come down the front of your abdominal wall in the center called the rex abdominis. And they're attached by a thin tissue called the linea alba, which is a small connective tissue, a bit like a cling film. And during pregnancy, that cling film tissue will soften and start to stretch and the muscles it will allow the muscles to come apart Mm -hmm. to allow you to grow your baby so by the third trimester this will be there in a hundred percent of people and i am getting more and more women coming to me and saying i need to book an appointment because i've been told i've got diastasis and i'm really worried and i'm like yes you do you're pregnant it's normal this is yeah so it's normal you have to have it it's fine and currently there isn't loads of research on it but Currently, we don't know why some people remain abnormally wide 
postpartum and some don't. It seems to be a genetic lottery. Um, there is a little bit of evidence that showed that if you exercise your abdominals a kind of appropriately during pregnancy, you've got better results after. But again, once you kind of pick that research apart, it's not overly robust. Mm-hmm. So really, um, it does seem to be a genetic lottery. It doesn't seem to be correlated with kind of skin type or size of baby or anything like this actually so you know I don't I hope that's reassuring if you do have a diastasis um that's it's just how it is that's the draw you've got dealt and let's let's try and do what we can to improve things um so postpartum I wouldn't really um worry before the eight week mark so the research shows that by eight weeks what your abdomen kind of from a diastasis point of view is like at eight weeks will be the same at a year if you do nothing so kind of the initial recovery is happening yeah so but if at eight weeks you're thinking oh I still feel that my mid midline feels very soft and there's not a lot of tension there so when you put your hands into the kind of belly button area and all the way up and down it feels very soft and like you're sinking in so there's not much tension and you feel like there's quite a wide gap um, so the distance between the two rectus muscles is quite wide, then it's probably a good time to see a physio. So, but with that, um, I need to be clear that everyone has a gap. Yeah. So I haven't had a baby and I have probably one to two centimeter gap yeah, between mine. One and a half centimeter, yeah. yeah. So that's normal. That allows you to breathe. It allows you to eat a big meal. <laughs> Men have a gap. Everyone has a gap. Um, so anywhere between one to three centimeters is considered kind of normal. Um, but it's not all about the gap. I do take measurements of the gap. I personally measure at rest because that gives me more important information than when someone does a head lift. Um, and I'm looking for all sorts of things, but I'm more interested in the tension and I'm interested in function. So can some, so you may have someone who has say a 10 centimeter gap of their muscles at rest but their tension is quite good they're not doing the I call it the Toblerone effect they're not doming a lot in the middle they're able to manage their pressure so when I get them lifting and squatting and moving Mm -hmm. they're able to generate tension within that tissue so that's great or I might get someone who's got a much smaller gap but they can't control it as well so it's it's um, not just about taking this one measurement But I think if you feel you are abnormally wide and you feel it feels very soft and you're getting lots of that central doming, then that would be a good time to have an assessment with a physio. And treatment wise, obviously it depends. Um, There is no protocol as yet. Mm -hmm. With more research, there may be in the future. But the common theme across all the research is definitely that strengthening you know basically yeah. start loading right. it start stressing um, it I don't, so obviously we see a lot of people with diastasis in the studio yeah. and what we tend to do is train a little bit more specifically at the beginning so mm. people will be able to generate that tension that you talk about in different positions it might yes. be a plank position so on all fours and yes. a plank it might be in sideline work in like a side plank it might be in a sit-up type position and everyone is different but if you can find that position where you naturally yeah. can close and not not close but create that tension, tension then um that's where you start training someone yeah. and then dropping in other uh, other kind of positions so i think it's really important to make sure that from an exercise perspective if you are going to see a pt if you are going to see a pilates instructor that you know when you can create that tension the most optimally and train specifically yeah. there until you get kind of a better result in the other position so it's this constant assessment yeah I agree and I think there is there's two things that are banded around um one is people are told um oh you've got a diastasis so that's fine just don't do planks and don't do sit-ups and there is no good or bad exercise ever um there is no one exercise that's going to fix you um whatever fixing means anyway but it's it's a combination of different exercises and it's always you assessing your ability to perform an exercise so you might have someone that yeah they can't do sit-ups because they come into a really hardened dome Mm -hmm. and they can't manage they can't manage their pressure Mm -hmm. and they they are getting a hard doming but you might get someone else that can do that so it it just depends and my general guidance is if you're 
If you're doing an exercise and again, you're having to breath hold or brace your tummy to do it, it's probably too challenging for you. If you're leaking or filling down with pressure, mm-hmm. it's probably too challenging for you. And from a diastasis perspective, I only care if it's a hard dome. I don't care about soft doming. Because yeah. soft doming, so the doming down the midline, soft doming is just taking up the slack. Um, whereas hard doming, we can clinically reason that, okay, you're maybe putting a bit of extra pressure on that tissue. I'm not convinced we will care about that once more research is done um, because I feel like I get better results with people once I start loading them more and start stressing the tissue more. But for now, that's where we are. And I think when you don't have the research there, often it's better to be a bit more cautious. So a little soft dome that you can push into is okay. But if it's really hard dome, take it down and regress it slightly. Just for anyone listening to this that's not sure exactly what we're talking about with this doming, (laughs) if you think of the six-pack muscles, the line down the middle that divides them into three and three, it's that line we're talking Mm. about. And when when we're talking about doming, that area actually raises up and outwards. And it's something that you will notice, and you get it in men, like you say, you get it in men and women. It can come with obesity as well. Yeah. Um, And, you know, you might be... Uh, a young fit woman who's not had a baby and when you're doing a sit up you notice something pops out the middle and you'll you'll see it it's mm. like a very large outie the whole way up your tummy yeah <laughs> yeah it looks like a toblerone going down exactly just we've obviously discussed um diastasis rectus and what it is and what it looks like what are the consequences of it like is there evidence to say it, it's linked to back pain i'm not or sure I'm, pain I'm not, or... no i'm not sure it matters that much <laughs> yeah, that's so and that's the thing just thinking as we were talking about it like, yeah it does it even matter so in a way there was some research done ages ago and so i used to spout this out years ago about oh yes it's linked to back pain it's linked to, pain, linked to pr- and actually in my clinical head i'm like if anything it protects you against any pelvic floor issues because if there is pressure it's going to come out the tummy yeah, not go yeah. down onto the <laughs> pelvic floor so really it's obviously we want a functioning abdominal wall but with diastasis i might i i find i usually get people to a point where they're functional mm-hmm. i.e they can do everything they want to do they get back to everything they physically are in a really good position but you might some people might be in a position where they can do everything but it just doesn't look that great mm. um and so but sometimes the look will improve with the function Mm -hmm. so we always have to focus on function first but occasionally you do get people that just remain really unhappy with the look of it and that's when you can um look at you know having surgery for that and i will refer i have referred people for that and that's you shouldn't feel shame if you if you care about that and want to have something done it's your body and that's Mm. a decision but it's it's not a small decision Mm. um an abdominoplasty is a major major operation it's a much bigger incision than a cesarean it's a long recovery and i if i i've only ever had i haven't had many people that have had it done but i've made sure they've spoken to people that have also had it done and they know exactly what they're getting themselves in for and what support they need after so it there's it's not a quick fix but i find most people get to a point where they're like you know what i can do everything and it doesn't quite look as it used to be but actually i don't really care that much anymore (laughs) so but each to their own and um but yeah the focus is on on function and tensing and strengthening so we've spoken kind of about getting back to exercise and for a lot of people that means running Absolutely. So how, yes. when would you recommend getting back into running? Is is there a particular way? Yeah, so again, I'm like a broken record. There's not enough research. Um, but, so there's no, um, but it's changing. PhD in this for you somewhere. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's no kind of international guidelines um, on when to return to running. And there isn't, there's not loads and loads of literature, but fairly recently, it's been about a year, I think, a few colleagues of mine wrote um, um, some running guidelines where they did a literature review of all the current evidence and came up with a guideline, which is so useful. And I use it all the time, um, immediately started using it in my practice and it's just been brilliant. And we can flag that um, notes yeah, the it running... really readable. Yeah, exactly. It's it's brilliant. And Who are the authors on that, sorry. So it's Emma Brockwell, Grognier, oh I can't remember her name. And Tom Gooms, who's an oh, MSK Tom, yeah, running yeah, physio. So, Tom, so he him and then the, t- the other two are pelvic health physios so it's brilliant and it went really viral and it's really exciting and because it was needed so that's why it got so much attention so 
again, I'm sure they will be updating it as more research is done because we are starting to do more. Um, but yeah, I think what they found in their research that really, um, not research, their kind of literature review is that the earliest anyone should be considering running should be around the 12 week mark. Um, and this is not, I don't want people to feel that we are restricting them in any way. Like most physios now are very, you know, we want people to get back to all the things yeah. they yeah. want to get back to. I don't want to restrict you. And it's not that you can't do anything, but just like you wouldn't go from doing no lifting to going to the gym and lifting the heaviest weight straight out. We don't want you to go from kind of what a lot of people do after birth is they walk, they do their pelvic floor exercises. Brilliant. And then they may do some Pilates. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then they think, oh, I'll go running now. Um, and that in a way makes sense. But actually when you think about it, Pilates and pelvic floor exercises and walking haven't prepared you for running. So when we run, when we have impact, our pelvic floor contracts 400 times. So it's percent. So it's two, it's, um, we can't, a voluntary pelvic floor contraction, get my words out, can't prepare us for impact. Yeah. So the only way to prepare our pelvic floor for impact is by doing impact. Yeah. And so we have to ensure, so if someone comes to see me at six weeks and their goal is to return to running, I'm immediately thinking, okay, let's ensure you've got a, we're, your exercise program is incorporating graded impact Um, return to impact so for example that might be mountain climber sequence Mm -hmm. because that's impact without gravity or it might be just stomping a bit harder when you're walking it might be then some standing things like squat jumps or lunge hops or hopping on the spot or you know skipping and building up building up building up um so you're starting to get the pelvic floor prepared for it and you're able to monitor what's going on so if someone says oh, you know, I'm leaking a bit with my mountain climbers. We might want to look at the strategy. Okay, let's have a look at how you're doing it. Are you making sure you're breathing and you're not mm-hmm. gripping, which is causing downward pressure? Let's, um, you know, because if you're gripping your tummy, your pelvic floor's not bouncing and it can't absorb impact. So we might want to regress it a bit and build it back up. So again, it's finding that level, but we need to make sure there's an element of training for impact. And then from the 12-week mark, if everything's fine, um, in the running guidelines, there's some running tests that again you can do and give us a good idea that maybe you're ready or nearing ready to return to running on the whole though people know when they're ready um and so if those running tests you kind of pass and everything feels good we then recommend a a program such as couch to 5k um which sounds really slow and boring if you are a runner but to be (laughs) honest you can skip ahead a bit if things feel fine um but usually it's been quite a while since you have run and people quite enjoy the the slow build-up of it um so yes i would say you know it's not that everything's great by six weeks it's more four to six months before all the tissues the connective tissue and the pelvic floor and everything is is recovered so you know, we have to look at the whole picture, but the earliest we say is 12 weeks. And as well as the preparing for impact, I would also be looking at single leg stability because running is a single leg activity. So if you're not really robust on one leg, you know, generally the fallout is going to come to the vagina because that's our weak spot. Um, And I think for any uh, kind of Pilates instructors listening as well, I always, I say this a lot, I I feel like probably some Pilates people hate me for this, but Pilates will not give you power Mm. and the majority of what we do will not be impact. So Mm. no, jumping on the reformer does not count. It's not against gravity, it's less than body weight. So know what your speciality does. It can be amazing for that kind of reconnection and that breath work and and, and that real control and stability but it's not going to make you jump higher yeah. and it's not going to make you run faster. So if you've got someone with those goals that they want to get back to CrossFit, that they want to go for a run, that they want to do an Ironman, you have to refer out, whether that be yeah. to a strength and conditioner, whether it be someone like Reese, who's more of an SNC physio, PT, that sort of thing. You need to refer out, know what your modality does. And unfortunately, yeah. as much as I adore Pilates, it is not impact and power yeah it's just on the continuum isn't yeah, it really it's, yeah. it's amazing for the pelvic stability and general yeah. stability which you also need yeah. but you can't just miss out the preparing for impact yeah. and some people can some people can just return and they get lucky but on a whole um you've got to build it up um well, i mean what what you described just there in regards to the build up from basic through to you know 
basic pelvic floor through to strength exercises through to more dynamic hopping yeah. more yeah. force. It's not like any rehab program. Exactly. <laughs> exactly any rehab program. It's exactly it's the no same. Different. It's no yeah. different. It's yeah. no different. Yeah. Um, what's lovely about doing an internal examination, which again, I feel really privileged that I'm yeah. able to do these and women let me assess them because it just gives a bit more information. So a lot of personal trainers refer into me because just for one session, because they've got their trainer, they've got their plan, but actually I often allow them to be less cautious Mm -hmm. because if you you don't know what's going on you tend to be more cautious when you're rehabbing someone postpartum whereas if I've assessed them and I'm assessing internally and I'm thinking actually your pelvic floor is really good it's nice and strong it's nice and flexible it's traveling through good range it's really well coordinated with the breath you don't have a prolapse um, and also you're low risk for prolapse so I take we take measures often in physio where we measure the genital hiatus and the perineal body length and there's some research that's shown that if that's if they fall less than seven centimeters for that they're low risk for prolapse so if I've got someone and I'm assessing them and I'm like great then actually I can go back to the trainer and say crack on they can lift heavier they can you can do a bit more with this person whereas if I'm assessing someone and I think you know what there's a little there's some mild prolapsing and your pelvic floor's a bit weak it's like we'll get there but actually let's do a bit more of the building up and let's spend a bit more time on that so it just allows you to be a bit more bespoke really and one of the things i love about when we were first client is that that internal doesn't just have to be lying down well no it shouldn't shouldn't be be. (laughs) and not to say that sometimes in a like i said in a busy clinic and you might get caught up with something else so you only have time to do something in lying that's fine but ultimately if someone um is wanting to be really sporty and active we've got to assess them in standing and it's a bit awkward but i mean especially if you're assessing prolapse a prolapse is gravity dependent so you need them standing up and if someone wants to get back to crossfit lifting weights impact i mean we do it all we bring the weights in and i just sit on the floor and we we just do the examination with movement with function because i want to check you're not bearing down and if i've checked all these movements and you're not bearing down with it then you know you're good to go if you are bearing down we need to practice changing that um so yes i think most physios now are much better at assessing um functionally i.e in standing with squats with lunges with lifting um and things like that spoken a bit and you've mentioned a number of times about an, an internal exam yes. for people who are wondering yes what happens in an internal exam yes so um it's often people for quite a lot to be honest once someone's had a baby i've barely even had to do the spiel and they've already undressed and lying on the plane <laughs> they're, they're just so used to it but before people think you, you, you want what you want me to take my knickers off um so obviously we we make sure physios we do like to chat and we're really good at explaining exactly what everything involves and a lot of women have had smear tests and things but it's not like that so basically we it's a vaginal examination we don't use the speculums like you have have with a smear test so it's it's gloves with one finger inserted into the vagina normally we look from the outside first so we might have a feel around the superficial pelvic floor muscles we will have a look at the kind of structure um and we'll get someone to push down um kind of bear down as if they're doing a poo and we will have a look at their organ support so is the bladder, the womb or the bowel coming down with that? And is there a bit of a prolapse going on or are the, is it really well supported? Um, and then I normally ask them to do a pelvic floor contraction. And I'll have a look from the outside because if it's strong, you can see the perineum lift from the mm-hmm. outside. And then we'll check internally. And like I said, it's one finger. It should not be painful. It should not be. I, I think um, it just shouldn't be. I know people will have had painful smear tests potentially in the past. I have but it shouldn't be painful. Um, So if it is, you need to be saying something. Um, So we come onto the side wall of the pelvic floor and we'll ask you to squeeze your pelvic floor. So when you're squeezing your pelvic floor, we know from the research that you do tend to get a more optimal squeeze when you start at the back. So I tend to say to people kind of um, close your, imagine you're stopping wind or something like that. So you're closing around the back passage and I will feel um, a contraction internally and I will be able to grade it out of five. Um, but it's not all about strength. So I have many patients with a five out of five strength pelvic floor who are still um, having issues with leakage and things like that because it's not all about all about strength. So we'll grade your muscles and I'll also check that they're traveling through full excursions. Like we said before, 
being strong and being flexible, just like you strengthen any other muscle. It's no different. Mm-hmm. Um, but is it traveling through full range or is there some tension and restrictions within the muscle that we need to treat and address? Um, and what's the coordination like? So as we spoke about before, the connection between the breath and the pelvic floor and the glottis and the pelvic floor mm-hmm. is huge. And we know that as we take a deep breath in, the diaphragm will drop and that will cause a downward pressure onto your internal organs and a downward pressure onto your pelvic floor and that will allow your pelvic floor to lengthen and as you breathe out the diaphragm will recoil back up and this will cause a pulling up of the pelvic floor so as you breathe in everything drops and as you breathe out it comes up again so it's this nice bouncy unison um, that's going on so we want to check that there's a coordination there so I get some women who are leaking purely because they can't coordinate it and they can't connect it and actually the individual muscle is working perfectly well mm-hmm. but it's not working as a team mm-hmm. so we'll look at that um, and again feel around gently is there any tension points because um, like I said before it's quite common to find that we suffer so some women the weakness is due to holding of their muscles and tension um, and that's it. And for some women, we will do an anal rectal examination. So definitely if you've had a third or fourth degree tear or if you're getting a lot of symptoms from the back. But you can obviously decline that and we can get a lot from our examination from the vaginal examination. Um, so yes, if you've had a tear into the back passage, we would um, mm-hmm. advise that. But it's all discussed and it's not as bad as yeah. it sounds. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important for people to know that because it, yeah. on face value, it sounds quite... Yeah. in a way but when you then explain it the way you just have it's all very guided and slow, slow yeah and yeah yeah so but and as we've discussed over these four episodes like super important yeah well to have that knowledge yeah. because it's just linked to so many different things yeah well they're the muscles that support our organs keep us dry and help with continence they're really important for our sexual function because you've got the superficial pelvic floors that merge with the clitoris so it's really important for you know sexual enjoyment and strength of orgasm there's research around all of this um and obviously it's the base of your core so important from a kind of general um stability pelvic stability point of view as well so yeah they are really important um and so starting your pelvic floor exercises as soon as you can post birth is kind of the number one thing to do but also making sure that the muscles are fully letting go and the Mm. letting go is just as important as the lift and also varying the position that you're doing the exercises in so it's not all in lying because if you're only exercising a muscle in lying you're only preparing it to work in lying so again it's the same as any muscles sit stand and eventually you want to be doing kind of eight to ten quick squeezes and maybe ten holds trying Mm -hmm. to hold for ten seconds in a standing position ideally three times a day to build strength Mm. so it's a commitment but there's so much evidence for them and the sooner you start and develop that into your routine Mm. um, and they're kind of the non-negotiable that we just want happening in the background and then on top of that we'll look at the graded impact and the single leg stability and balance work and more specific Mm. exercises but as a basis we want those pelvic floor exercises kind of going on um, Super important. every day. Yeah. Uh, just as a bit of a side note, I managed to find that document that oh, yeah, I was talking it. about. So it's called Return to Running Postnatal Guidelines for Medical Health and Fitness Professionals Managing This Population. And it's by Goom Donnelly and oh. Brockwell, 2019. I'll put a yeah. link to that in the in the show notes and things as well to, um, so you can easily access that. So before, um, we've obviously spoken about things that you will immediately see, something like a diastasis, but if you've had a C-section or something, so what happens after that? What can you do? Obviously, there's you get told things like, don't lift your baby mm-hmm. and things like that. So is there any kind of tips you can give people for C-sections? Where are those myths and that sort of thing? Yeah, so with a cesarean birth, I mean, with any birth, straight after having a vaginal birth or an abdominal birth, you don't want to be doing loads of really, really heavy lifting. Of course you don't. It's like if you really badly sprained your ankle, do you go do you go for a run every day after it? No, you've got to let the tissues heal. And there is definitely an element of just don't do that much for the first few weeks. And that is actually going to get you back to things quicker. So, you know, I had a lady fairly recently message me in a massive panic because she felt very heavy. And she felt she might have a prolapse or something like that. And um, when you say heavy, you mean in her perineum, in her vagina, like a dragging sensation, which is what a prolapse would feel—a heavy dragging feeling. 
and she was really stressed about it and you know poor her and all the rest of it but then we realized after a while she only had her baby five days ago <laughs> and she'd been walking hours a day with the baby in a sling um, because she's like oh, you know I want to be walking and I know that's important for me and of course walking is important yeah. but also you know all your pelvic ligaments have been stretched and just you know just be around your bed for a five days no like you know I think think there's definitely an element of just I think if I had a baby the first couple of weeks I'm just not going to go much further than my bedroom I'm just not and then I'll build it up gradually because there is that just initial healing um and again same with the cesarean so I think often people think oh the cesarean it's much harder initially and you you're restricted but I think whatever delivery you've had you don't want to be doing lots of heavy heavy lifting immediately but of course you can lift your baby and so often it's not how you do it's not what you do it's how you do something that's important and you can generate more internal pressure down by picking up a bit of post from the floor if you're doing it by using a strategy where for example you brace and breath hold which a lot of people do Mm. a lot of people um i kept people just you know opening a fridge and they kind of brace their tummy and breath hold or you see people getting off a low sofa and they'll hold their breath to get up and a lot of us use this high load strategy for low load tasks so it's how you're it's how you're lifting that's important so if you're reaching over in bed to lift your baby to feed you're not kind of holding your breath to lift the baby you're making sure that you're breathing whilst you're lifting so some people find in the initial phases blowing out helps them get into that routine so you know there's no one way to breathe and one way to lift but essentially just making sure that you are and then making sure that you are breathing means you'll manage the pressure because if you're breath holding and bracing the pressure is going to go down so um you know and with a cesarean i think you are going to probably want to do some scar massage um around the area and the whole lower tummy so from the belly button down not just the scar actually just getting the tissue you want to desensitize the tissues you know scar tissue itself isn't a problem it's not painful and we all have it it, but actually you want to get the tissues mobilized a bit you want you can't you can't strengthen what's stuck and you can't strengthen what you're disconnected to so just kind of doing a bit of massage around that area to desensitize the tissues you know get them used to being touched again um because essentially it's a you know as far as your brain's concerned there's been an attack to the body there so Mm. we need to desensitize that area get the tissues moving and there is some evidence for silicone gel i probably would a lot of consultants um prescribe silicone strips um but you can get silicone gel very you know for 20 pounds and there's a bit of evidence for it so why not put that on as well um but yes i think if you if you find that you have a prolapse um, after birth, I think it's really important that, a bit like you were saying earlier, Reese, you frame it as an injury. You know, whereas because of the language around prolapse, so many people, and it makes me really upset because so many people feel extremely distressed by their prolapse. They think it's the worst thing in the world. They feel shame that they have a prolapse yeah. and it just becomes the, and they're, they might go online onto Google and hear that, okay, I mustn't lift anything and I mustn't ever run. And they feel extremely restricted and that they can't do anything and that their life is over. And it becomes this, and I'm not exaggerating, people become their prolapse. It becomes this awful thing. And it's our fault as health professionals for making people feel that. And we need to reframe reframe it. You would never, my boyfriend recently um, had a bilateral medial collateral ligament ruptures he didn't come home from getting that mri thinking oh my god my life is over this is the worst thing in the world it's just a bit like okay i probably should do some rehab for that i'll go and see the physio and they'll strengthen me up you know so if you've got a prolapse and you've got a bit of laxity in some of your side vaginal walls we just need to strengthen you we need to build you up and it's not a case of just thinking, oh, it doesn't matter, I can do everything. But it's also not a case of doing nothing. We've got to find that sweet spot and that level that will work for you. So, yeah, try not to go on forums if you've had a diagnosis like that. and Listen to this podcast. And listen to this podcast. <laughs> and, yeah, take control. There's so much you can do. And these things are treatable. Um, and even some of the best consultants and the best surgeons in urogynecology who I refer to because they're fantastic surgically, 
there is they don't rehab patients and so they will still tell my clients that they can't lift and we now know finally there's research coming out that shows that lifting is reducing in the right way can reduce your prolapse symptoms so just like anything anything else so (laughs) yeah yeah, if you're lifting something and you're bearing down it's feeling heavy that's going to weaken the pelvic floor but if you're finding the level that works for you and you're feeling good with it that's going to start to strengthen it and build you back up again so yeah doing nothing and not lifting anything and not moving is not going to get you anywhere um so yeah seek some support and some guidance on finding the right level for you um yeah just one thing i really want to cross off and i I told you guys this um story off offline before but i had a real epiphany moment in a class i was teaching a few years back and it was four women all Mm. probably late 40s maybe even in their 50s and one of them mentioned about leakage during exercise and the other three in the class all went yeah yeah yeah, and, and I was sitting there listening to this, thinking, and I, I said to them, I'm like, you know, there's things that can be done about this. Mm. Like, it doesn't have to be a normal thing. So I guess, Claire, just uh, your thoughts on even 30 years down the track, yeah. think incontinence and th- other things can still be helped. Yes, um, I did an article recently in The Telegraph, which is amazing, but I, off the back of that, had so many women in their 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, contacting me, just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe there is something I can do about this. I had no idea. Um, And, you know, I'm not, I think, you know, of course there are times when we can't get someone 100%, but people always improve, you know, and then it might be that you get to a point where you're almost there, but you, you know, you're not quite. I'm not saying everything can completely be resolved with physio. That's why there are, the place for medication there is a place for surgery of mm. course but absolutely there is so much we can do and you're ne- it's never too late same with diastasis i think a lot of people yeah. think i've got to act on it now time since delivery is irrelevant obviously the sooner you start the sooner you get things sorted and the better because yeah. it does start to affect your quality of life there's um there's some stats actually that show if you have urinary incontinence in the first six weeks post birth you are I can't remember the percentage, but you're something like 60% more likely to have postnatal depression. It's really high. So, you know, we think these things don't affect us, but it does get you down a little bit. Um, Yeah, yeah, no, it doubles your risk of getting postnatal depression if you're leaking afterwards. Mm. Um, And yes, there's so much we can do, whether or not it's pelvic floor training, whether or not it's bladder retraining, fluid advice, um yeah advice on emptying your bowels you know it's it's huge so and i think even just being able to speak to someone and start along that process people feel so much better yeah, um yeah, yeah. in terms of incontinence and prolapse is that always immediate can you get it later as you start to train and you start to do more like what signs and symptoms should you look out for yeah so no it might not be immediate because again initially after having a baby you're not necessarily challenging your system yeah. so you might think oh everything's great and then you start your return to running or your return to hit classes and you might be totally fine, but then you go to do a star jump and you think, oh, yeah. so star jump's quite a common one for the legs are apart, <laughs> it's quite a vulnerable yeah. and the impact for your legs apart. I mean, the stats for athletes are huge. I mean, a lot of trampolinists and gymnasts, yeah, it's, you know, because it's a, you know, it's a big hit on the system. And, and so, yeah, if you're getting that, they don't panic, but don't just ignore it. Um, we can train that and it's just too hard for your demand. So yeah, if you're noticing these symptoms. Um, so what would those symptoms be if you just sum them up for us? So with reg- what any symptoms? Yeah, for like leaking. In, so, like, so for incontinence and prolapses. Yeah, so with, with bladder, it's pretty obvious because you would feel the leakage. Mm-hmm. Um, with, or you may feel bladder urgency. So you might just feel really urgent and that you need to go to when you're when you're exercising with prolapse it varies but it tends to feel like a heaviness or a dragging inside the vagina almost like there's a tampon inside that's coming out but there isn't so some people feel more of a bulge some people won't feel heaviness but they will notice when they go to the loo or something that something is there mm-hmm. um what's important with prolapse is that it's not it's not harmful it's not bad for your health um really so it 
it isn't something to panic about. You may notice that you um, can't fully empty your bladder um, or fully empty your bowel. So you go and you feel like there's more there. Um, so yeah, incomplete emptying. Um, you may be going to the loo much more frequently. Um, so these would be the signs that something is, is not quite right. Um, yeah. Beautiful. All right. We've uh, we've well and truly gone over our normal 30 minutes, but there's some really, really valuable information in there. Um, certainly, as with all of these podcasts that we record, I've yeah. certainly learned a lot today. And hopefully um, we'll get Claire back and talk about all things menopause and athletes yeah. and everything else we're going to try and convince us to come back again. Absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully she'll, she'll, she'll uh, indulge I'll us and come back again. <laughs> Um, excellent. So, Claire, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. As I said, I've learned a lot, and I hope people listening to this uh, learn a lot from it as well. I think there's some super, super valuable information in there. Um, so, just once again, anyone that wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Yes. Yeah, so, um, if you've got any questions or you want to book an appointment or anything at all, um, you can email me at Claire, C L A R E, at rephysio so it's rephysio.com um or follow me on my social media which i'm not very good at updating because i'm <laughs> always in clinic um but occasionally i put a little bit of information out there um on re.physio so re.physio on instagram excellent okay so that wraps up episode awesome. four with claire which is episode number 10 for us exciting Yay! we've hit double figures <laughs> Excellent. Um, we'll be back in the next couple of weeks. Um, we've got a couple of really exciting guests coming up, actually, which I'm, I'm looking forward to. Um, if you want to see us, we also have opened up a uh, Instagram account as well, uh, which is Complete Health Podcast is the handle. All one word, no gaps or anything. So we'll be updating information. Um, we'll be putting some of the show notes and links and things on there as well. So keep an eye on that. Anything else to add, Helen? Uh, if you already follow the Pilates side on complete underscore Pilates on Instagram, I will double up and reshare all that stuff as well so you can kind of get a second here. Fantastic. All right. Thanks again, Claire. Thanks, Helen. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you all again soon. Bye. That concludes episode 10 of the Complete Health Podcast. For any information or questions, please feel free to email us at either reese at complete-physio.co.uk or helen at complete-pilates.co.uk. We're also on Instagram as at complete health podcast or one word. If you haven't already, please go back and have a look at our previous episodes with Claire, where we discuss what exactly pelvic health physiotherapy is common pregnancy-related musculoskeletal conditions and the options you may be presented with during labour. Keep an eye out in coming weeks for our next guest, Dan Boyd, where we talk about all things related to bike fits and triathlon. For For another another week, week, stay stay healthy and and goodbye. goodbye.